This show is supported by State Farm. You have insurance for your home, your health, and your car. Why don't you have insurance for your small business? So many small business owners think they don't need or don't even know about small business insurance. Protecting a source of revenue is one thing, but so is protecting all of your hard work and your team members. State Farm agents are all small business owners too, so they know how to help small business owners choose personalized policies that fit their budgets. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Welcome to 51 First Dates. I'm Liza. And I'm Kimmy. And we are doing an experiment. And talking about dating. And love. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Hi, everybody. I'm Liza. And I'm Kimmy. And this is 51 First Dates. And we're joined today by a very special guest. Today we have Dr. Darcy Sterling here. She's Tinder's dating and relationships trend expert. So we are very, very lucky and so excited for this episode. Hi, Darcy. Hi. Thank you guys for having me. Thanks for being here. My pleasure. Um, And yeah, I'm also really, really just excited because um, Darcy's a therapist and I'm just always very happy (laughs) Be in the presence of a therapist. Always happy to get a little free advice. Yes. <laughs> for, I, and also just like have someone where I'm like, somebody knows something. <laughs> I mean, you know, we're all on our path, but ideally I'm a few steps ahead of my clients. That would be the appropriate <laughs> order. Um, actually, so this is a fun tidbit. Liza and I at one point actually saw the same therapist when we were friends way back in the day. How'd that, that work out thinking, for you guys? Like, we, it was not... A, it kind of was before we were close friends. Yeah. So it was like a very bizarre thing. That's like, I think why we're like very excited to have a therapist on because like we're always like this podcast, our whole business was brought to you by therapy. That's how we met through our therapist. Yeah. Like, you met through the therapist? Sort of. It was, okay, so it's the, whatever. <laughs> it's I'm going to tell long the story. shortest story, yeah. version story I can. We were in an acting class. Our acting oh teacher God. referred us both. To, we both were talking talking to him in one-on-ones, whatever, and he was like, oh, you should think about going to therapy. And he referred us to the same therapist without us knowing. We And we weren't friends at we this were point. We were close. just in the yeah. same class. We were acquaintances. We got close through the course of the class. And then as we had become close friends, like, at some point realized we had the same therapist. And we oh were like, God. oh, my God, this yeah. is just a bizarre mindfuck. That moment when you realized, now, how did you realize that you had the same therapist? So there's it's so, <laughs> it's so, it's such act, like, this is a long time ago. Yeah. Okay? It was such actor class. BS, I yeah. feel like, because I think I was literally had just done my scene for the day and my teacher was talking to me like, all right, Kimmy, like digging in. And I was like, well, I haven't been going to therapy. I think I mentioned she for my therapist. And you came up to me after. You said something, something. specifically that was a phrase or something my therapist said, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, she sees the therapist. Oh, I just like knew in a blaze of glory. I was like, it's the same. I know it is. Like I just had this. It, it wasn't even, it was something very generic, but I was just, I just had this intuition and I was like. Yeah. Do you see this woman? And you're like, it was very like, yeah. I just made a face. I always forget the listeners cannot see my face. It was, but it was, yeah, kind of wild. And then sparked, not sparked our friendship, but it was at the same time as we were becoming friends. And the first project we ever did was about seeing the same therapist. And then just like, so it goes. But we always encourage our listeners to go. So I'm Absolutely. just like, yeah. no, and I love moment. that you guys met through the therapist. That's. <laughs> A great it's story. Yeah. No, that's amazing. Yeah. My Very favorite thing funny. about doing this podcast is getting listener mail that says I'm going to therapy because of you guys talking about it. We talk about therapy all the time and how important it is. And the irony is that the people that are in therapy are the least that I worry about. It's the it's the masses who aren't in therapy. I don't understand people who can walk and talk without having done their own work. I would I would literally need to be connected to a Prozac drip, frankly. (laughs) If I hadn't been in decades of my own work, I would not be a functional human being. Um, And and I'm continuing to do my own work. Like, I don't think we're ever done. Um, People people in my personal life always ask, oh my God, how do you deal with hearing people's problems all day long? I don't listen to people's problems all day long. My clients come in. They're the hardest working humans I know. They come in. They've done their homework. We review their homework. We we uh, measure wh- how far they are from accomplishing their therapy goal. We talk about things that they want in life. The majority of my clients that I attract aren't people who are necessarily um, unhappy in their lives or... They're not necessarily, they don't always walk in limping. They walk in having this vague sense that there's something more that they want out of life. I would call it like a vague existential crisis where they just want, and so if you think about mental health as being like on a spectrum, 
Remember that timeline that they taught us how to like add and subtract and multiply with oh, yeah, in yeah. kindergarten? Um, and zero is in the middle of that. That's no symptoms. Most therapists work with clients when they're from zero into the negative numbers. I work with clients generally from zero into the positive numbers. Mm. I do what, you know, is dream work, but not in the psychoanalytic mm -hmm. sense of the term in the, what do you want to be when you grow up? Because as New Yorkers, we know that you blink and a decade has passed. And if you're not strategic with where you want to go and what you want to accomplish, you're going to find yourself living someone else's life on someone else's terms. And that's just really sad. Mm -mm. Yeah. 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 Oh my God. Yeah, really, we both like <laughs> so resonating with no, me right totally now. No, I totally killed the vibe. No, no, no. No, zero no. percent. I just was like, oh my God. Well, I think we've all had that me. moment within yeah. the past like year. And yeah. now like I'm getting my MBA and you're working in full-time jobs that are really fancy. I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about them, but anyway, right? No. It's like yeah, MBA. I, I am. But you're no, working in cool jobs. Great, yeah. But I'm also just constantly like, I want to make my movie. I want to do this. I mean, you know, it's, it's like, hard. Whatever. When you're an artistic person, you're For always sure. wanting to do the next thing. So it's right. hard. And But also living in New York, you right. got to make money. You got to yeah. work. Gotta you got to pay the bills. And it's hard juggling those things. Like, how do you not abandon your dreams while paying the bills? Totally. While maintaining your day job so you can live in whatever place you live in. Mm -hmm. um, totally. And I think that most entrepreneurs are, are built, most uh, businesses are built in my ideal world, because I'm not a huge risk taker, although my wife thinks I am, uh, I prefer that businesses be built in the context of paying one's bills through the day job. And then when you're making almost enough money to live on, that's when you let it go and you can just, you know, that then ignites the motivation to actually bring your business to the next level. Mm -hmm. Because if you have another job or another income source that is paying those bills, which, by the way, has nothing to do with the topic we're talking about today, right? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Oh, Thank you for bringing it back. No. I am so sorry, but no. I'm like, feed me a tidbit and I'll just go off on a tangent and take you down a black hole. No, apologies. <laughs> no, no. I feel like that will, what we, what you were just mentioning will resonate with so many listeners. Just, it's, because it also has to do, it feels very similar to what I think a lot of people experience with dating too. And again, it kind of goes back to norms and like money and yeah which brings us to our beautiful segue is what we're talking about today our th oh yeah our theme i mean our theme is like <laughs> i air quoted i continue to air quote the theme is dr darcy me. plus yes <laughs> um so we're going to talk about uh just you know fucking hashtag new year new you whatever not really but uh dating rules to abandon mm -hmm. um notions to shrug off and a little bit of like the notion that uh, there's a certain like uh, order in which you have to do things. Particularly if you're a high-functioning person of privilege, or even not person of privilege, but mm -hmm. you're on you're an, you're upwardly mobile, or you aspire to be, you are expected to hit some milestones in a very particular order. And um, yeah, the young adult to-do list, the bane of every one of my clients' existence, pretty much. Before we get too far into that, only because I just think it's interesting. Um, will you just tell us a little bit about, you know, how you got where you are? Like, you know, the, 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 hi the highlights of your life story. Sure. <laughs> however you want to do sure. it. Sure. I, I also have a memoir, but <gasps> I'm kidding. Um, no, I was going to say, but I'll condense it all into a soundbite. Um, so I, uh, yeah, I got my master's degree from Columbia University a million years ago and then started my own private practice because I wanted to bring... I wanted to bring really good counseling services to, I was raised middle class. Mm -hmm. And when I was growing up as a teenager, there were services for the underprivileged and disenfranchised and services for the super rich. And there was nothing for people in between. And had there been somebody for me, I would have spent probably a couple hundred thousand less on therapy than what I wound mm. up having to spend mm. um, as an adult going into therapy if I had been able to connect with a decent therapist as a younger person. So I specialized in working with adolescents for the first 15 years of my career, bringing services to the middle class. And so my practice was called Alternatives Adolescent Counseling Center. And we're, we were all things to adolescents. Like there, we had full-time therapists, learning consultants, dietitians, psychiatrists, um, 
trainers, just intending to come from a very holistic approach and mobilizing families to get their kids out of therapy as quickly as possible. But you have to help them build support outside of therapy in order to do that. Then um, I went to NYU, I got my PhD and I moved to New York. And I guess as I grew and aged, so that was like my very early 30s. By the time I was in my early 30s, I was almost grown up enough to let go of the teenagers and to begin working with young adults. And young adulthood, believe it or not, is 18 to 32. And that's my sweet spot, you know, 22 mm-hmm. to 35-ish. Mm-hmm. Um, so I began specializing in young adults and helping neurotic New Yorkers, which like if you're going to be successful in New York, you have to have a modicum of neuroses. Mm-hmm. You need a little OCD to make it in this town. It's not an easy town to make it in. Not that any town is right now, um, but so my my... I began attracting just really high achieving, successful um, young people who were killing it at their jobs and just felt like something in their lives was missing. And um, over the years, I began to untangle the common denominators of what brought people to me. And what I learned is, regardless of what they're talking about in my office, it is always relationship oriented, whether it's about getting along better at work, getting along at all at work, getting along with their families of origin, especially around the holidays, or intimate relationships, or needing a tribe. Because, you know, we have all these institutional situations growing up through school and through extracurricular activities where we're we're in an environment where there are so many people our own age that we're exposed to that our tribe happens so organically. And then we become young adults. And if you wind up in a city, whether it's LA, New York, Chicago, or anywhere else, you have to actually mindfully build your tribe out or it doesn't happen. And the irony of New York is that you can be surrounded by people and so incredibly lonely. Mm. And so what I found was I really only teach people relationship skills because the same skills that I use with my wife, Steph, I use with every person in my life, my clients, you guys, my friends, you know, professionals, everybody. Um, So, uh, yeah. So, and then I got famously single, um, which I'm the host of on E! Network, which was Talk About Lucky. I got very lucky with that. That was an amazing ride. Um, I got to build a whole tribe out in LA when I had like this whole family of people because I would go there to film mm-hmm. um, every season and I would leave there. I would live there. I would leave my wife. I would live there and, um, you know, put my clients on hold. Thank yeah. God they're like, they had it together and I could just, you know, say goodbye for a month. And then... Um, you know, so I have this whole other tribe in LA and, uh, yeah, that ride has been amazing. And more recently I became Tinder's dating and relationships trend expert, which talk about lucky twice struck by lightning two times, which is amazing for me because what I've come to believe about my mission in life is that I'm put on this planet to teach everybody relationship skills and Mm. dating skills because they're teachable and nobody teaches them to us, which is infuriating when you think about it. Like, what do they teach us in high school? How many of those? I mean, okay. Geometry now kind of makes sense now that I have my eyebrows to keep in mind. And like, (laughs) I understand that there are dimensions that I have to, that I have have to calculate if I want the arch just where it should be. Mm -hmm. Um, But truthfully, all kidding aside, how much of what we learn in high school is do we apply in everyday life? And how useful would relationship skills be if we if we were all taught them at a young age? Yeah. At the age when we begin to, um, we're basically having a dress rehearsal with every relationship that we have for how we're going to handle and manage our, our long-term relationships in life. We're building those muscles in our younger years, when we're teenagers and in our early 20s. And if you start out with great habits, it's so much easier to keep those consistent. 
but because we don't teach them to anybody, everyone comes to me limping and, and it's like, okay, so everything you learned about relationships, forget it. Yeah. Like, you know, those girls who wrote that book, The Rules, mm. <laughs> that your parents grew up reading and then you were indoctrinated in, they actually had no qualifications to be writing that book. And by the way, they're all divorced. So <laughs> I, I mean, not that being in a marriage is the, you know, is is a, a, a necessary qualifier of a relationship expert, but you should go to school. I mean, as somebody who has six figures in student loan debt. I just think that everyone should have to go to school to call themselves something. So the beauty of working with Tinder is now I get to teach people who I would never have reached otherwise. I get to teach all these swipers, you know, dating and and relationship rules. And, And even if I don't get to go super deep, I whet their appetite for more. And that's all I want to do. I just want... If I do nothing else for people, I want people to contemplate the fact that they've never been taught relationship skills. They've all learned them as I did from our parents, Mm -hmm. better or worse. Divorce rate is north of 50% when we were growing up. It's better now because people your age are waiting to get married until you're actually fully formed adults and you're enjoying being single. So you're not picking partners at 21, 22, who you're going to have nothing in common with at 32 and no ability to predict the fact that you're going to have nothing to talk about at that age. Yeah. Because at 22, you know, the whole world is this moment right now. It's it's impossible to imagine that you're going to be potentially incompatible with your partner in a decade. Totally. And I mean, I feel like it's funny because you were mentioning that we learned these skills from our parents. I feel like I also learned so many ideas and notions of what a relationship should be from like shitty 90s movies and TV shows. Oh, hell yes. And now I'm like, and it took me a long time to realize that actually like what I wanted was something really different from that. Like that, that's not any relationship that I saw in any rom-com. Like I hate like you know it's uh, and even totally. whatever some of the better ones that aren't shitty i'm just yeah. like i don't and, want that it's so unequal and whatever just not my and, thing and speaking of um not so shitty rom-coms that started in the 90s sex in the city started out as a if you look at season one they were women who didn't want a relationship they were actually foreshadowing this amazing trend that tinder has uncovered in its recent research that millennials are choosing to be single much longer now and and choosing it because they're looking to learn about themselves and they're looking to explore the world and have adventures and they're dating, but that doesn't mean that they're in a relationship. You can both be dating and single. They're not mutually exclusive. But I don't know what happened with Sex in the City because if you watch the trajectory of the seasons... It, that all turned around and suddenly they were all chasing relationships yep. except, um, well, 50% of them were chasing a relationship. The other 50% were like, you know, Miranda and Sam. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Totally. It's, I just started rewatching from the beginning. I just had this like, like post finals was like, I want to get into this. Like I just need something that's like easy, more lighthearted. It's really interesting to look back and see how much was obviously groundbreaking at the time, but how much like... Yes, they passed the Bechdel test, but how many conversations are still about men? Like how much it still is about men. However, but isn't it great that like Miranda was remarking about it? She was saying, guys, can we have a conversation that doesn't focus on men? And I don't know that women know how to, like we didn't, we had never heard dialogue. Like I gave, look, I, you guys can't see this. I have chills because I'm (laughs) such a dork. Like we had never heard dialogue like that back then. Yes, We had never heard anything like that. So that was groundbreaking. That was, that was paradigm shifting. We had never even contemplated that a conversation shouldn't revolve around who we were dating and totally. who we weren't dating. Somebody yeah, really recently. Up. Yeah, yeah, sorry, well, rewatching. Someone, you're like, it might have been. I suck because I'm going to reference something that I don't remember where I read it. But someone just wrote like a great blog post slash article. It might have been uh, one of our friends at Man Repeller. 
Hey, Men Republic, we love them. <laughs> um, but basically it was like, in 2018, Miranda would be the star of Sex and the City. Yes, Like, I if this that. show were remade in 2018, Miranda's the protagonist. Like, easy. Mm-hmm. Like, that's how the world has changed. The Mirandas are front and center now of, like, our TV watching our consciousness, which is so fucking cool. That's the people we're putting front and center now, and, which is And the best. Charlotte would look archaic, yep. right? Yes. And, and she just looked, she was a rules follower, right? Mm-hmm. Like, she grew up, she was your mother's er- generation, yep. and mm-hmm. she grew up indoctrinated by this fabrication. Like, like I just can't. I can't. I have no words. I, I, there's yeah. an eye roll that's happening that you can't see. <laughs> yeah. It's... It's unbelievable to me that um, that a whole generation of women were raised, and and what it did. The, so the harm is so like deep rooted. What it also did was it reinforced this fucked up notion. Can I curse? Oh, oh my of god! Okay, I curse all the time. Yeah. Awesome, because I would be mute otherwise. <laughs> Very shortly, I'll run out of words, <laughs> and I will have nothing but f bombs left to share. Um, what it reinforced was this notion that as women, our 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 success is predicated on our relationship status being married, not even just in a relationship, because that only buys you so much time, right? You're young adults. Yep. You tell me. Yeah. I mean. Oh, yeah. And you've been in a serious relationship. My relationship is because of this podcast, because I did my therapist work of going on the dates. But I'm thinking, like, I admired the Mirandas. All of our listeners admired the Mirandas. But there was still something weird in me. We did not do this podcast because we wanted, like, me to find a boyfriend. It was more about changing up my attitude on dating. And so did you truly go on? I went on 32 of the 51. I met my now boyfriend, who is truly, like, the best person I've ever met, on date 13. So I really pushed myself to keep going on dates. Good for you. No, that is... It changed my entire perspective on dating. Okay, so my clients that are listening to this, this is why I tell you... You know, not to be that I told you so, asshole, but like, honestly, this is why I tell you to keep dating even when you meet that person. Keep dating because if nothing else, it it creates a comparison where your your certainty is that much greater that you found the right person. Yeah. And I I knew I was moving to get get to LA. Like, there was just so much. I truly was like loving this project. I wasn't being mean by going on these dates. It wasn't like I definitely am not open to it. I was just more, it was like a little bit self-involved in that I wanted to change my perspective. Liza was like a great support system. She was putting me in setups. It was just like, truly, it's so cheesy, but like any, I just, so many women I still know who just feel stuck, especially I'm in this business school bubble right now and like people are starting to pair off. It's Mm -hmm. like our first year and get, they get really insecure and I'm like, don't, like when it becomes all about one guy, like I feel like you or limit. women to women, it doesn't matter. But I'm thinking specifically this tends to be like kind of heteronormative. It happens a lot. Like putting all of your worth in that person, you start liking. Mm-hmm. But like, I don't know, there's something about doing more dating or just like now being in a relationship because I was single for almost all of my 20s. Like prior, I'm like, it's it, it, my worth isn't different. Nothing is like, I didn't even have huge pressure from my family. I feel lucky. Like what's wrong with you? It's just like, but there was still something in me and it kind of goes back to the young adult timeline that you're supposed to be on, I was, though like Miranda's who I would root for, I was still, I felt like something was missing. Mm-hmm. Like totally. Yeah. And and so it's so much bigger than our families. And, and I, when I was working with teenagers and their parents and a parent coach, which I say in air quotes, um, only to connote that we called ourselves that so the parents would actually come to us without thinking they were in therapy. But that's what it was. We were helping them to build parenting skills, another skill that society doesn't teach anyone, but I digress. (laughs) So even when you're lucky enough and fortunate enough to grow up in a family unit where that young adult to-do list, that pressure to get marriage is not drilled into your head, Mm -hmm. because our development is so much more impacted by, by there, it's so complicated what creates a human being. Um, and what is nature versus nurture? We're not born. Well, and so here I'm going to contradict myself a little bit. We, to a certain extent, we are hardwired, especially as women, mm-hmm. to seek out a partner because through evolution, our survival was predicated on not being single. Whereas men, 
they could make it on their own. I mean, they needed a tribe, but they didn't need a partner. They just needed to procreate. And so, and I'm speaking in a heteronormative perspective, but the point of the matter is, is that you still felt all that pressure and it wasn't coming from your family of origin. It was coming from society at large because you were raised in an era, which we still live in, but I am so grateful to hear that it's changing. Um, where your where a woman's a young adult's a young woman's self worth is tied and tethered to her being, you know, successfully in a committed relationship and then into marriage. Yeah, and it's funny because I feel like the the focus is so the pressure to be in a relationship is so strong that I don't actually think I focused on like the being in love part of it. Until, like, someone taught me how to. Because, like, look, being in love is fucking awesome. Like, I think it's, like, the only thing that redeems being a human, which is very hard. You know? I mean, not really. There's lots of things that do. No, I hear you. But, like, it's an incredible feeling, and I understand why people chase it. But I just realized, I think, after actually, like, really falling in love with someone for the first time, that I had been chasing anything that, that had nothing to do with love, you know, that just mm. had to do with like what I thought I needed, what I thought I wanted. Mm-hmm. Like, what was he like? What did he look like? Did, was it someone like I could bring around my family? Was it someone I could bring around my friends? Like all of these things. Um, like I feel like we always kind of call them like checklisty things. Like does he fit the checklist? Yeah. And yeah. it wasn't, it, it wasn't really about my own experience of it at all. Like it, it had nothing to do with my experience of it. It was everything about how, I, what I felt I should have and what I felt I should – where I felt I should be at what age. Um, and So what was your scary age? Every woman has a scary yeah. age. I yeah. want to know. What was your scary age? I think – well, I, I was really af- – I mean, <laughs> this sounds dramatic. I am very dramatic. I'm a Gemini. But <laughs> <laughs> every age brought its own really distinct fear – for me, I always found I always thought 27 was the year that I should become an adult because I have a, a much older brother. He's 16 years older than me, and he got married when he was 27. And my whole life, I was like, "Well, 27 is when you become an adult because of that." Like I was, you know, very young then, um, but it just really implanted in my mind. Like he was older and had it together and he had a great job and he was you know he's very I think like traditionally successful Mm -hmm. um and he's happy he's you know he's got like a Kimmy knows my brother well yeah he's awesome Um, he's great like he's you know got a great family he's a great person um but I think that I always was kind of like 27 is when you're an adult and then when I was 27 and I didn't have health insurance or like a real job or like all of these things Mm -hmm. I was like well cool I failed but you know I think that except uh, like, you know, wrapping my, my head around the idea of like, I'm happy. I have like a great partner who I love, like, like the, the things that I really did have that Mm -hmm. were really solid helped me to get past the idea that any age is scary. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. No, that, that makes perfect sense. I just turned 30 in November. Um, so I always thought that was my scary age. But like weirdly mine has to do – like I think 28 was like harder for me. Like it, it snuck up on me as being the scary age. 30 was my scary age. Like back in the day when we were still acting at like 22, I was like, that'll be when I quit at 30. Stopped acting way before that. But still like that – like I mean I'm getting my MBA now. I'm going down a more traditional route. So that 30 was a scary age. However, my mom had me when she was 28. I'm the oldest. I have a younger brother. And I think like actually coming up on 28 gave me lots of a- a scaries. Like where am I reevaluating? Yeah, something about like later 20s mm-hmm. and being like I am deeply single. We were doing better. We had like our company then, but it was still – there was just a lot of scary in the air in terms of like – There was uncertainty. Yeah. And I'm, I was never – I have certain friends who were like I thought I'd have a – be married by 30, baby by 33, latest. And I didn't have that so specifically. Um, But still, I just thought I'd be somewhere else. I think it was more like career goals. Like, I Uh thought I'd be, like, fully rolling in it by 30. But, Mm -hmm. like, 28 became that really scary year. Yeah. And in the moment, yeah. Yeah, I hear that. Did you have a scary year? I did. I had um, two. So, oddly enough, uh, I found 25 to be a rough birthday. I don't know why. It was the weirdest thing. Keep in mind, I'm like significantly older than you guys. Um, And then 
I got past 25, clearly, and <laughs> <laughs> and and I I had it in my mind I cannot be married later than like I have I can't be a 30 year old who's not married, mm. and um. I literally remember telling my then boyfriend, now ex-husband, um, yo, we just bought a house together, which is to say that I put down the down payment and you're paying half the mortgage, which is sweet, but my family thinks I'm crazy. And, you know, I need a timeline. And I and he was a good guy. Um and he like the the pressure was real like i i pressured him and he was like inside of a year we'll be engaged and we were and i was a 29 year old bride mm-hmm. and i was a 36 year old divorcee and um you know then married again at 39 so i got married at 29 and then finally for the last time at 39 and I'm now married to a woman, which is a much better fit for me. Yeah. 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 I walk the planet much easier today than I did. But I will say, and no regrets, had I had relationship skills then that I have now, I could have made any relationship work. Mm. Now, listeners may wonder, well, would it have been the right relationship? There is no right relationship. I'm sorry. There, that That's such a sad thing to say. I feel like I'm telling people that Santa isn't real. No. But really, there is no right relationship. It, any relationship is right if you're growing and you're learning how to love better and how better and you're, and you're being more deeply loved by your partner. Any relationship is fine. You yeah. know? I, I hate to say it, but relationship success is less about compatibility and more about relationship skills and being a whole individual. And I tell that to my single clients, you know, and friends that, you know, focus on you, grow your own strengths, nurture yourself, become a better individual. You'll attract by, you know, the law of attraction. You're simply going to attract a better version of a partner mm-hmm. because we're, we're always going to attract a version of ourselves wherever we are on the developmental, the developmental, uh, path that we're on for ourselves. We're going to attract somebody on a similarly plotted. Now their fractures are going to look different from, from ours, but they're going to be by and large about as evolved as we are. Mm-hmm. So grow yourself and get a lot of that muscle built early on. And, and then you're going to attract somebody who you're more likely to be able to grow with, which in and of itself is kind of crazy that we're supposed to pick a partner and without a crystal ball who we can imagine growing old with, which no longer ends at 40. It yeah. now goes into our 90s. Yep. Yeah. Totally. I just think the whole thing's crazy. Can I have some more wine? Please. Yes, I was going to say it's a wine break What time. a great oh ad God. break. Ad break. Enjoy this message from our sponsors. That's something I've never said before. Okay. <laughs> this show is supported by State Farm. Insurance is a part of any solid financial plan. Making sure you have the important things in life covered is one of the best ways to give yourself a little breathing room when things go awry. It's important to protect not only your business, but yourself as a business owner and all current and future team members. State Farm agents know what it takes to run and protect a small business because State Farm agents are all small business owners and they live and work in your community. So they're deeply attuned to what's happening with other small businesses in your market. If you have a small business and are interested in making sure you're protected, reach out to your local State Farm agent to learn more about what you need. They'll help you find the right policy at the right price for your business. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Okay, we're back. We refilled our wines. Yay. I have the smallest buzz. I didn't eat a lot today. Anyway. <laughs> that is a definite indication of not having eaten a lot because it's like only glass two. It's yeah. like the second glass. I had, I mean, nobody cares what I had for lunch. I had a small Hale and Hardy, which is not enough food. Anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Ready? Here's some production for you guys. We discussed this over the break. Um, okay, so we've been talking a lot about the Young Adult To-Do List, which is um, something that is a blog. Uh, I pulled from a blog post that Darcy wrote on asked on her website, AskDrDarcy.com, um, 
But I just wanted to actually read the to-do list because I think it's like – for me, when I read this, I was just like, this sparked something in me that was like, oh my God, this is a very frustrating thing that I had never really identified as being so frustrating. Dread. Mm, um, yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Dread, that's um, So uh, I'm going to read it and then we can just kind of discuss it. We probably, you know, should have read this earlier, but if you want to produce podcasts, you can go listen to Serial. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so, okay. So the young adult to-do list in this order is... Graduate high school, go to college, pick a lucrative, employable major, begin a serious heterosexual heterosexual relationship, be offered a job before graduating or within a month or two of graduating, become self-reliant, read Stop Taking Money from Your Parents the moment you begin working, work your ass off at that job, also remain in that long-term heterosexual relationship, get promoted a lot, get engaged, get married, make babies. And that's what we're all expected to do. Mm. So like going into the new year, what are like kind of from like so zoomed out, whichever one of those one of our listeners may be grappling with right now, what's like your kind of broader advice on how to just like think about this timeline? We all have a different version of it, but I mean that's the one that we've all been given. Like what are some tangible steps you might offer in terms of how to how to reframe it maybe? I mean I find – First and foremost, just naming it, putting language to this dynamic that we, that those of us who fall within a certain population, um, wind up consciously or unconsciously ascribing to and aiming to accomplish. I think that the language around it is really important and just, you know, sitting with that for a hot minute. Because it's really horrifying when you think that as an 18-year-old who's just left their home for the first time in most cases, you're in college, you're living with a bunch of peers, you're expected to pick the career that is going to make you happy for the next, what is it, 70 years? (laughs) I mean, it's just fucking crazy yeah. when you think about it. So, like, I I think that, look, I'm all about action steps and I'm all about dismantling old-fashioned perspectives. But I, I also think that there, that we need to acknowledge that this insanity is imposed on us and that there's not been really language around it. Mm -hmm. We've not been having conversations about it, about this idea that even if you don't grow up with your parents as tiger parents, there is this expectation through society, through your peers, and you're all judging one another, whether you realize it or not, we're all judging one another by our age and by our, our accomplishments. Um, so that first and foremost, but then if you want me to get into the spreadsheet, I'm happy to do that because I'm a Virgo. So I love to give action steps. You know, we're living much, much longer. We now know so much more about the human brain. We actually know, I'm going to dork out on you for a hot minute. We actually now know that the prefrontal cortex, which is the last part of the brain to develop is not fully developed until we're about 32 or 33 years old. The prefrontal cortex is the part of our brain that allows us to anticipate the consequences of our actions, to plan, to organize, to to really um, just see in the future, this ability to see in the future. So if that part of your brain is not established, you don't have the faculties, you don't have the tools or the ability to intelligently, I mean, that's part of why we recruit 19 year olds for war. Because, and it's part of the reason, because they're reckless. They can't, and they're gonna run into danger. They think they're gonna live forever. Um, and it's part of the reason why when we're really young, our car insurance is so much higher mm. because insurance companies know that we're reckless and we're more likely to take um, unnecessary risks because we can't anticipate the consequences of our actions. So to, 
to un begin understanding that, again, I'm going to come out of this dorkiness in a, in a minute, to begin understanding that we're ill-equipped. I mean, you're just turned 30. I mean, maybe your prefrontal cortex is already like fully formed, but I, I don't know. No, I'm you know? my head. <laughs> you know, and so, so like it would be okay for you to take a couple more years to fully, un fully determine what line of work you want to employ your MBA through. Yeah, yeah. And um, this sense of endless hope, which is amazing. I love that about young adults, that you guys have hope. And I want to nurture that and encourage that. But we exploit it in certain areas. And in other areas, we, we, we put a kibosh on it. We won't let you buy alcohol. We won't let you, you know, because at some level, society understands you really don't know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. You really can't imagine what a certain amount of alcohol could potentially do to you. You know, I think that we have to begin understanding that we're just, we're not equipped as young adults to make the long standing decisions that society has been imposing on us. Mm -hmm. I We need a fucking movement, guys. Like, mm -hmm. I, I realize that I'm speaking in very macro terms, but I mean it. Like, we this is not like a one podcast conversation. Mm -hmm. We need a whole paradigm shift in our society because we're setting young people up to fail. They're not equipped to handle the long-term consequences of the decisions that we're imposing on you. So I kind of think it's like a 1960s burn your bra. Like we, you just have to say no, just say no to the young adult to-do list because you, you can't possibly know that you're going to be okay with those decisions for the rest of your life. And in, in much the same way that the Tinder survey uncovered the single not sorry survey uncovered that millennials are already beginning to think this way. They're already wanting more adventure. They're, I don't know that we can necessarily extrapolate any um, causality through the correlation of the fact that the divorce rate does appear to be dipping and millennials are marrying later. Causation does not equal... Um, what or is correlation, correlation does doesn't equal, equal causation, causation yeah. to glasses of wine, folks. Clearly, <laughs> oh, no. clearly I'm a I'm a cheap date, um, but it does appear. Look, research has shown us forever that the longer you wait to get married, the more likely you are to stay married. The longer you wait to make lifelong decisions the more likely you are to be able to live up to those decisions. And mm. I just think that we have to all soften around one another and around ourselves. And you just have to breathe. I know it sounds insane. Like, I want to give you a tangible, do this, don't do that. Okay. Breathe. Don't ascribe to the young adult to-do list. Yeah. And yeah. challenge it yeah. and call it out. Totally. And like, I think... at Christmas... Yeah. And I think also, and I'm calling myself out for this, I think it's so important to stop judging other people for making choices that don't fall in line with the young adult to-do list. Like, I think that I've lightly eye-rolled to myself before when people, I don't know, like, get engaged, like, to, I don't know. I have I have some feels about people getting married young, but... When, when people are doing things in a way that I see as out of order, I have a light judgment for sure. But then I get so angry and annoyed when people put that on me. Because, mm -hmm. like, I do, you know, I've, like, I've been with my boyfriend for five years. People ask me when I'm going to get married almost every day. It's so annoying. It's so annoying. Mm -hmm. What but do you also, say? I say never. I literally, I mean, I, which is probably not the truth. It's like, I'm, we probably. But that's such a great answer, I, by the I'm way. I'm just, I say it and like defiantly, I'm like, never, you know. That's <laughs> no, no, I wish everyone like, could see your face when you do no, that too. No, honestly, so I love good. it. No, we have to do a gif of this. Yeah. <laughs> right? Never. Never. Because <laughs> it's like, you know, and I'm, I, I understand, especially with my family members who are from a different time and a different generation and my family, I'm from a huge family. A lot of kids, everybody, like it's, I have an amazing, very rich extended family. And I get that people 
try to understand family in that term and in those ways. And I do think that a lot of it is well-intentioned. Um, it, but I also just think that's a lot of the way people try to understand you and your relationship. Right. And so one of the things that I Sorry. have, one of the things that I have encouraged people to do is try and get beneath. So when, when family members or extended family members or, um, family friends gather for the holidays and they ask those well-meaning dumb questions, try and remain present to the idea that what they are really doing is just they have an absence of of they don't know how to connect to you they don't know it's the it's the equivalent of asking a teenager how school they don't really give a shit how school is they just don't know what else to fucking ask you and that's why they're asking Mm. that that you know prepackaged question what they really want to know is that you're happy and if you can get past the poor delivery and the poor question and the the poorly phrased question of, you know, so when are you going to get a job? Do you have something lined up? Um, how about that internship? When are you going to get a boy? Are you dating someone exciting? Mm-hmm. When are you guys going to get married? Are you going to have kids? If you can get beneath that and remember the subtext is all about they care about you. They don't have better language. They just want to know that you're happy. Just speak about the things that make you happy and they're going to be happy and quiet. Mm. And, and it, but it's so hard because it's triggering, yeah. you know, it's like so fucking annoying when they yeah. ask those questions because it just underscores where everyone isn't in their life. Yeah, it's a really quick way to make you feel very insecure. Even if I feel this way still, we're like in general in life right now, like I feel pretty good. I'm like, I'm happy. I'm doing good. I'm, you know, like stuff's, stuff's in a good place. And when someone's like, ask me anything specific about my career and I I usually take like five to 10 minutes to ex- try to explain what I'm doing and what I'm trying to do. And then I feel so, so insecure and that's it is the most non-traditional aspect of my life is Your what career? I yeah my career and what I do and how I make my money versus what I'm trying to still be when I grow up like oh, it's honey, all we'll just talk and we'll work out an, el- an elevator pitch that's all you need oh my god literally yeah, you just mm-hmm. need that one liner totally now I just say I make videos people what do you do I'm like I make videos that's right <laughs> so because it also all. like people of a certain age can't wrap their heads around what yeah. the hell you do totally and you know I don't want to it's it's annoying to call yourself anything else. Like, I don't want to say, like, I'm a filmmaker. Like, I'm not. You know, I'm... It's, it's funny, though. I've had to, like, really work on, like, kind of our 30-second elevator pitch yeah. for interviews, not business school. It's the hardest thing you're ever going to so, do as an entrepreneur is figure out your elevator pitch. Yeah. But it, it's, like, there you have so... We have done so much, Liza. I've just, like, learned that because you have yeah. to own it. And it's very interesting for the rest of my MBA class. They're like, yeah. that's really cool. I'm like, but we weren't, like, this money-making, crazy money-making startup, like, the way I... And I don't call us a startup, but we were... We were... We did start a company. No, like, totally. It's so and it's, cool. like, I don't... I don't feel, like... When I think about it, I don't feel insecure. I feel really proud of everything I've done and what I'm doing and the fact that like I I have an art I have an, an actual lucrative artistic career which is like an oxymoron of, yeah like and it's you know I'm I'm a video editor which is not the sexiest thing in the world but I make like a great living doing something artistic like mm-hmm. that's a big win to my 22 year old self but when I try to explain it to an adult quote unquote <laughs> I'm like immediately in this place of being like, oh my God, I can't tell you in one sentence what I do. I work in post-production. Yeah. I do a lot of that. Right. You know, I tend to tell them what I'm currently working on, which I don't even know why, but sometimes, you know, if it's for a network or something like that, it makes me, it gives me this feeling of legitimacy. Anyway, this doesn't even matter. No, but it It does matter. No, it totally matters because it speaks to, it speaks to the pressure that we have that everyone has and particularly young people of of needing to validate every aspect of the every milestone on that young adult to do list, and it's uh, it, it's it sucks. It sucks. Yeah, it's frustrating, and I think that it's funny because when I was single, that was definitely the thing that I just didn't want anyone to ask about ever. And it's you know, I I think we all do 
tend to feel like we have that thing that we're like, just please don't fucking ask because I don't want to talk about mm-hmm. it, whatever. But I think that the the dating thing, especially, you know, we're coming off the holidays. Full disclosure, right now it's December 19th that we're recording. So when this is released, <laughs> we'll be coming off the holidays, but we're all just anticipating them. But I think that um, – Coming off the holidays, like, everyone's probably had a lot of difficult conversations, especially, like, a lot of our listeners who are, like, single out there fucking dating, like, in the shit. And even New Year's is just Oh, my God. That kiss, which I never contemplated. My poor single clients. I want to just, like, put them in a collective, like, hug. Like, that kiss is something that is dreaded. It is universally dreaded, that midnight kiss. Who will I kiss? Yeah, and even... In my, like, half relationships and things over the years, like, New Year's to Valentine's Day were always very em- empty times in my life. So, like, I almost this year, I'm like, I have a New Year's kiss and I don't, I don't want to do it. Right? Because I'm and I feel solidarity. That way. Yes. Because those feel holidays that way about are Valentine's just Day. Yeah. I'm like, mm. no, Steph, we are not celebrating that bullshit holiday. Yeah. Because we have friends and, and clients who are shamed as a result of this holiday. And in solidarity, we are not celebrating it. We don't do it. Yeah. No, I love that because I'm just like... <laughs> I'm like the relationship expert. No, no. literally won't do Valentine's Day. Literally, I fuck that. it. I won't go out on Valentine's Day. I'm like, I don't want to go out and spend a shitload of money on a prefix menu. I Which don't fucking want to eat. It's going to suck anyway. Yeah. They, they both, yeah, have dumb prefix or situations. And they, I, I just hate... Cause now, cause I just felt like that for so long. Just like, oh, I'm not enough because I don't have a relationship. Even if deep down I kind of was really happy, independent, and single, I just because of society felt like not enough. Now in a relationship, nothing. I really like being in this relationship because of my partner. I, I just. I hate that society makes us feel like that's better than. Like, we talk about this all the time in the podcast. Both are equally awesome and equally shitty. Like, it, at points, you know? Like, I just... And, and these holidays are so much... By the way, like, just to give you props, like, both of you, being in a, a relationship, hardest work of your life. I mean, nobody's mm-hmm. going to hold up a magnifying glass to your flaws more so than your partner. Yeah. And if you think the boys are bad, try dating a girl. Yeah. <laughs> FYI. <laughs> yeah. Just saying. Harder, Ima- like- Imagine double yourself. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Totally. Like, people, yeah. people who do know how to also, like, talk about their feelings and can speak back to you and tell Oh, my God. Stephanie, I share a practice. We come home and she wants to talk oh about her God. feelings. I'm like, oh, my God, man. We're so much easier. But I <laughs> And a therapist, too. Like, two therapists together. Yeah. yeah. No. I'm just like isn't there but we're watching we're watching blind spot we're gonna watch this show instead isn't that so much better than your feelings (laughs) i mean yes it's just a lot man yeah i mean it it's funny because i think that like the you know the gleaming city on the hill right is like finding a partner like dating someone who's really um self-aware and emotionally intelligent but i do have times where i'm like and i and i'm the luckiest my my boyfriend is so like for a for a you know a, a cis straight dude whatever he is so like good at talking about his feelings he taught me a lot about talking about my really? feelings yeah it's, I'll attest well to that. it's like he's a, I mean it's great and he's also he's also a Gemini he's there's a lot of feelings and a lot of like hey no I saw that face like let's talk about it and I'm like I don't want to talk about it I, I want to finish the movie like. <laughs> Can we stop hitting pause? Little of a god! Oh my god! It's an hour and a half movie. It shouldn't take three hours. Literally, <laughs> my life every night. Yeah, I feel like you have something similar. Each going hundred percent. Fully, we were watching the Bruce Springsteen on Broadway thing uh, a couple nights ago, and which is amazing. You guys should watch it. But I was crying a lot, like a lot, and he kept pausing and being like, "Are you okay?" We just talk about it, and I was like, "Let me have a good damn experience. <laughs> it's fine, you know." Like, but you know, but it, it's true. It is. It's not. It's a. It's even when it's good. It's like you're. It's constant you're work. Building, you have to nurture. You like, have to nurture yourself. You have to build yourself, and you have to nurture the relationship and build the mm-hmm. relationship. And people think that they can expend all their energy at work on their careers, especially in like real hardcore. Um, locations like New York, LA, Chicago, or whatever, 
and they think that they can just expend all their juice at work and come home and they're regardless of their gender or their sexual orientation they're going to come home to this person that has like a plethora of of space in their cup of of compassion for them and we're all blown away when we each want the same thing from one another and nobody has anything left to give Mm. we have to save something for the end of the day we can't I hate this term, but we can't blow our load (laughs) at work. We just can't. We have to reserve some for home. You, you have your relationship. Look at the end of the day in the final analysis, you're going to evaluate the quality of your life by how well you loved and how well you were loved by others. And that is all predicated on the amount that you invest in your relationships. And if you invested in your relationships just 10% of what most of us invest in our careers, can you imagine how and if you um, and if you expected it to be a little bit of work instead of wait, no, this should be fun, this should be easy. This should be this should this is my personal life. This is the place where I should be safe. You create the safety by having the hard conversations and coming through them on the other side. But we have to invest the energy in our personal relationships, all of them, so that in at the end of our days, we're going to feel like it was a life worthy. We, we do it, you know, the New Year's, what I would love people to question on the New Year is, what do you want, how do you want your obituary to read? Mm-hmm. How do you want your life to be described? Ask yourself that at the end of the year. How well did you love your friends? Not just your intimate partner. How good were you and kind to you, to the people that support you at work? You know, how, how courteous are you to the people who society doesn't think matters? This is what character is. And this is really, you know, not to sound like some morally superior asshole, but um, this is really in the final analysis, how we're going to evaluate life. Yeah. You know, I had to write, this is morbid. I, what, this wasn't something in for acting class. I had to write, I maybe didn't have to, but it was an option for like some writing class or some sociology class. I don't remember. Write your own obituary, which sounds so morbid. But, but it's it amazing because it really sets interesting. forth your goals yeah. for life. What are you, what's actually important to you? Or And like, yeah. And also, yeah, to add to everything you just said, also like how you treated yourself too. I feel like so many of our listeners are so hard on themselves or like waiting or like so much ghosting, all of those things we don't have to get into, but it's like, I don't know. Uh, now I'm being cheesy, but just uh, entering the new year, just like being good to yourself too and nurturing your relationship with yourself because I don't know. It's the struggle's real. Yeah. The struggle is truly real. And like, we do need to be kind to ourselves and just understand it's not about how well I'm doing compared to you. It's how well I'm doing compared to how I did last week. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Myself. And how good I was to myself and those I love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's not about how well you're doing compared to the young adult to-do list. For like, not sure. to be so shoehorning the theme in. But no, no, no. Genuinely, it's true. I feel that way. Is sometimes I, I take a step back and I'm like, fuck the to-do list. I'm happy and I'm proud of what I've accomplished. And you so should be, why am by I the thinking way. like, thank you. But I'm like, but then it's like, why do I think these negative thoughts? And it's because of that to-do list. And so for me, I'm like... Can I just take a step back and gauge, like, am I happy? Do I feel good? Mm -hmm. And, like, lots of times the answer to that also is, like, no. (laughs) You know, like, I'm stressed. I haven't done this, the thing that I want to do, or I want to change this or whatever. But, like, that's so illuminating to be, like, despite the to-do list, despite what everyone else is expecting of me, what do I want? Like, what are the – where are the areas I want to be better? Like, without all that fucking noise. And then maybe – this is pretty annoying, but like any like I love annoying a little. Well, just because in your relationship with Tinder, and we do have a lot of listeners who are actively dating, because kind of that's a lot of the premise. So anything like not piece of advice that's too broad, but just anything maybe we didn't touch on when it comes specifically to dating apps um, that yeah, you feel like you'd like to totally. share some wisdom, I guess. Yeah, 
Um, you know, dating can be an extension of your, it can be another extracurricular activity. It doesn't have to be goal oriented. Mm -hmm. It can just be for fun, which is something that my generation didn't do. I mean, I didn't enjoy dating for one second. Mm. It was always with an end goal, end goal in sight. And and when I look back on that, I'm like, wow, how unfortunate. I had so many, well, I didn't have that many years, but like, because I was married at 29, um, but I, there were so many great experiences that I didn't fully embrace because I was so focused on where this was leading. I think it's okay, and, and I want to encourage people, I think we learn about ourselves by meeting other people. Like, I've learned about myself tonight based on the questions that you asked me because I didn't anticipate them because nothing here is produced, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> and so, which which I appreciate because it has me, it caused me to think in a different way. Every time we meet a new potential partner on a date, we're going to be challenged and stretched in a different direction. And that can just, like, that can... Okay, this is going to sound so ridiculous. That can kind of be your personal development. Mm -hmm. It really can. I mean, think about it. Meeting a new person once a week, twice a week, that, first of all, the I don't have to tell you. <laughs> How much energy does that take? I mean, quite, quite a bit. Like, yeah. Um, yeah, you have, to, you have to, like, go into it with an attitude of, like, I'll have fun and see and, like, stay as long as I want to and... Yeah, because it's a lot, just especially organizing the dates. It seems easier in this day and age, but it's hard to get on them. And and the idea that regardless of how the date ends, it, it can be a win. I don't know why people don't see it the way I see it, but my clients look at me like I have two heads. I'm like, dude, if it doesn't work out, it's, it's a wing girl. It's mm -hmm. a wing guy. It's like... It's somebody to go out with. You know what networking, I mean? Sometimes. It's networking. <laughs> yes. It's like always leave them happy and always be kind. You know, mm -hmm. again. Or it's the like thank you next thing of like, cool, I learned something yeah. from this date. I learned something I don't want. I learned something I don't like. I learned something about myself. I learned like. Yeah. How did you handle that awkward or like really rude situation that he or she created, mm -hmm. yeah. which can be awful, but sometimes and what a teachable story. moment, yeah. Right. Like first of all, a teachable moment, more importantly. But then, then we have our listeners submit worst first dates. So worst case, you can send us a story. You know, like usually, and it's very rare that dates are so awful that like nothing good can come from that. Totally, I think that they. And again, I sell hope. I get it, and I'm an eternal optimist. But I'm also not naive, and I do think that every single interaction can serve you. And it's not always just about serving you. Guys, we have to serve others, mm -hmm. you know? And sometimes it's about, you know, giving the other person a good experience. Mm. But I do think that there's something very growth-oriented about and, and just exciting about meeting new people and also exhausting about <laughs> meeting new people. Let's be real. And that's where the growth comes in. So I think just viewing dating and apps as an extension of your life and just something that you do, like you go to the gym, you go on a date once a week, twice yeah. a month, something. Yep. Yeah. Get yeah. off the app and meet in person also, by the way. Yes. That's a thing. That was my thing because uh -huh. I, probably because I had to keep delivering content for our listeners, but like I was like, you can't go back and forth. And we get so many emails about that where, where you, you where you do everything, just everything get on you beat. needed to communicate, everything you had, you communicated through text yeah. and you get in person and there's nothing left if you ever get in person at all. Yeah. Getting on the date is so important. I'm so glad that you mentioned that because yeah. it validates what we always say. Totally. <laughs> it's so funny because my, my, um, you know, one of my best friends and cousin who was on the podcast a couple weeks ago now talking about her first one of her first dates kind of back after a thing but I basically and I feel like such an asshole because I'm just like I'm selling you our program like literally I feel like a you know, <laughs> know like a I don't know televangelist or something where I'm just like hey like you want this like get on board but she's doing like a one date a week program and she's really forcing herself to like do it like get out on the date and she's just been on like three or something at this point but she's already like I see dating differently and I do think it's like there's so much 
kind of like noise around dating that people get distracted from actually just doing it. And watching Kimmy go through this whole process and now watching the beginning for her and watching Kenny, like I'm just okay, like, my brother took over my little brother. You have a Kenny and a Kenny? Yeah. It's, oh my God, I can't. <laughs> my parents didn't do it on purpose. He was named after my grandfather. Like I was Kimberly on my own. I just like to give this, give my yes. parents credit. He's named after my grandfather who passed away after I was born. So then he was Kenneth. But then it was like, I ended up as Kimmy and he ended up as Kenny. Well, it's like oh Kimberly and Kenneth don't sound that alike. And then no, it just no. became. I know, like, my true. parents aren't that cheesy. I mean, right. I just had like, you know, an, an 80s, 90s name. Oops. And then he just had my grandfather's name. But like, it's wild. Anyway. But he like, like finance bro, wonderful brother. And he would, but he was like, yeah, I'll do it. We'll switch up the normal. I'll start going on dates and like, come on the podcast as I can. And for him even, it's been cool. But anyway, I digress fully. Um... But yeah, I think that's like, that's our, yeah. Let's end on that nice positive yeah, note. Fuck yeah. It's like, get out there, do it, and fuck what people think of you. Is that our thesis? From this <laughs> yeah. Basically. Yeah. In a nutshell. So very important. Darcy, where can everyone find you, follow you, read from you, tell them everything? So askdrdarcy.com. And um, I'm pretty sure my social media is Darcy. It's at, a, at Dr. Darcy, some variation of DR or D-O-C-T-O-R on all the platforms. And we'll link them all in the episode description. Thank you. Too. Thank you so much for being here. You guys are amazing. No, Thank you. I've wonderful. enjoyed this so much. Thanks. Us Thank too. You. I feel revved up to be better. Great. I'm like, Yay. <laughs> 2019. Yes. Yeah. Delivered. Thank you. Yeah. Appreciate yes. this. And so yeah, we, we always, always sign off by telling our listeners to go on a date. Go on a date. Shout out to Anthony from Five Ohm for making us sound really good in post. And you should check Five Ohm out online at fiveohm.com. And that's spelled F-I-V-E-O-H-M. Ohm. Thanks to State Farm for supporting this show and helping our listeners protect their businesses and lives. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today.